0: Well, I uh, I'm I'm honored to be here with you guys this morning uh, to speak. I'm Pastor Ben, uh, Pastor Stephen Mamie's son. Pastor Stephen Mamie, they are. We're all going out on a family vacation to go see my sister. So I always say it whenever they leave and I get to fill in. They're going to go visit their second favorite child. And It's understandable, you know. They need a little bit of alone time with her just just to appreciate it. No, no, no. I'm just kidding. No, we're excited. We're headed down to the beach right after them with this. But um, they asked me to continue in First John. So I know that we joke, Jason in the one week was joking to say that, my gosh, first, this, this, this book of First John has been taking forever, right? So a friend of mine, he's a pastor at a church in Texas, and he was going through the Gospel of John. And so I had the pleasure to actually go down there and speak at his church. And whenever I, we were there, they were on John chapter 11. I'm like, oh, okay, so, you know, have you been going at this for 11 weeks? He's like, no, this is like week 19. I'm like, in John? He's like, we've just been riding the train, man. We're riding the train. I'm like, all right, well, that's good, that's good. So this, I think the speed we're getting through First John is actually pretty good. We're, we're going at a good pace, going at a good pace. But I love, I love the book of First John. In fact, I know you're not supposed to have favorites, but, man, I love the way John writes. And as we've been going through the book of 1 John, uh, what we're going to look at today is verses 6 through 12. I'm excited to go through 6 and 12. I think there's a lot that God wants to speak to our hearts today. And I'm really encouraged that God is going to speak to your hearts today. So why don't we do this? Everyone say, Holy Spirit, I'm ready to hear from you. All right, you said it. So whenever he speaks to you, just be ready for it. But I'm excited for this. The book of first John is such it's such a beautiful, if you if you think of it as though it's a personal letter, it's a really beautifully written letter. In his heart, you can really see John's heart come out in this letter. And there's so much that was going on at this time in the early church. They were really fighting a lot with this group called the Gnostics. And it wasn't just them, it was a, I mean, it was all manner of false doctrine that was trying to come in that he was going against. Some of them were saying that, well, Jesus was a member of the Godhead, but he really never came in flesh. He wasn't, couldn't actually, like, see, touch. He wasn't corporal. He wasn't here in the earth. Other groups were saying, well, you know, Jesus was here, but the Holy Spirit, like, he was kind of like a ghost sometimes. And, like, the other times he wasn't. Like, the Holy Spirit was on him and not with him here and there. Just whenever it was, it kind of worked in here and there. And then other groups are saying, this whole Jesus concept, you know what, if you know enough, if you've tapped into the deep knowledge of God, that's what you need to know to be born again. To have this eternal life, you don't need to worry about Jesus, you just got to know enough. And there's all other manner of false doctrine that's going through the church at this time. And John, he's trying, and this is, we're coming to the end of 1 John, John's trying to wrap it all up, and trying to say, look guys, let me just set it all strength. We've heard a lot through all this letter that I've written here, but let me bring our focus back. And so today what we're going to be talking about is the testimony of the water, the blood, and the spirit. And we're going to go ahead, if you can, you can open up the First John 5, uh, 6. It's going to be probably where we're going to be living most of our time here today. I want to read it to you. And what we're going to do is we kind of dissect these verses. What I actually want to do with this is as we hit, I, I, I kind of subdivided them that in the four parts. But we're going to read the verses, and I want to read it from a few different translations. I always love reading different translations of the Bible because it gives me such a complete look. Sometimes at what really was being said, or what other what other aspects of it I may not be thinking of that you don't see just on the surface at the first read-through. I don't know about you guys, but I've read the Bible. I've read the Bible plenty. And I feel like every time I read it, there's something in it that I did not pick up before. There's no limits to this, so I'm going to go ahead and read uh, six through twelve for us. This is the text we'll be going through. It says, "This is the one who came by water and blood, Jesus Christ, not with the water only, but with the water and with the blood. It is the Spirit who testifies, because the Spirit is the truth. There are three that testify: the Spirit." And the water and the blood, and the three are in agreement. If we receive the testimony of men, the testimony of God is greater. For God, for the testimony of God is this: that He has testified concerning His Son. The one who believes in the Son of God has the testimony in Himself. The one who does not believe God has made him is a. The one who does not believe God has made him a liar. Because he has not believed the testimony that God has given concerning his son. And the testimony is this. That God has given us eternal life. And that this life is in his son. He who has the son has the life. He who does not have the son of God does not have the life. And whenever you read these scriptures together, it makes so much sense. Whenever you think of what was being dealt with in the church. And he's trying to say, guys, look. Jesus Christ was a real person. We're going to get into what he meant by the water and the blood and the testimony of the Spirit. And he closes out by saying, look, if you don't believe in Jesus Christ, you're missing all of it. And if you don't believe in Christ, you're actually calling God himself a liar because he testifies towards his son. So let's take a look at this. Because God wants to give us peace in our lives. And I'm sure... If you think about it from the perspective of, this, of the church and the early church, they're probably, this is all new, new information from them. This isn't a message that's been around for hundreds upon hundreds upon hundreds upon hundreds of years. There's a lot of new concepts. So there's a lot of turmoil, maybe even thinking of themselves, is this really true? And so what I want us to do is I want us to realize that today as we go through this, these words in the word of God are going to give you peace. You might say, well, I, what I'm dealing with in my life, Pastor Ben, has nothing to do with what you just talked about in the Scriptures. It's irrelevant. Jesus Christ is all things. And He is whatever you need. And it even says that He is the Word. So the Word that we're going to read of the Bible right now, it is Jesus Christ. And it says that He is our Prince of Peace. And I love it that it says that in Philippians 4.7, It says that you can have the peace of God rest on you which transcends all understanding and that it will guard your hearts and your minds. I love that I don't have to understand or have the exact calculation of how I've arrived at peace. I can have faith that my Savior takes care of me. That's what John wanted them to understand with this. So let's take a look at verse 6. We're going to start off with uh, or six in verse, uh, verse 6 in the, the baptism, the blood, and the truth. I'm going to read from the New American Standard Bible first. It says, this is the one that came by water and blood, Jesus Christ. He did not come by water only, but by water and blood. And it is the Spirit who testifies, because the Spirit is the truth. Now we're going to look at this in the Amplified. This is a good one. I love this. This is he who came through water and blood, his baptism and his death. Jesus Christ, not by the water only, but by the water and the blood. It is the Holy Spirit who testifies because the Spirit is the truth. He is the essence and origin of truth itself. Whoa. You could sit on that and think about that for a long time. That closes. He is the essence and origin of truth itself. One more, the New Living Translation says, And Jesus Christ was revealed as God's Son by his baptism in water and by shedding his blood on the cross. Not by water only, but by water and by blood. And the Spirit, whose truth, confirms it with his testimony. And John's really trying to relay something here. He's saying, look, Jesus Christ, he was a person. I was there whenever he was baptized. I saw it. I was there whenever he was crucified. I saw it. And the Holy Spirit was on his life the entire time to confirm everything of what he said he was and who he was. Now, let's, there's a scripture I have up here of uh, John's description of how the, the baptism went down. Let's uh, We'll read it here. It says, And then John gave this testimony, meaning, This is John the Baptist. John's recording this. I saw the Spirit come down from heaven as a dove and remained on him, meaning Jesus. And I myself did not know him. But the one who sent me to baptize with water told me, meaning God told me this. The man who you see the Spirit come down and remain is the one who who will baptize with the Holy Spirit. I have seen and I testify that this is God's chosen one. Now before we go to the next one, next slide here, this is John the Baptist telling John, look, this is what what happened to me before I baptized Jesus Christ. I saw the Spirit rest on him. So it makes sense that John would say, look, the baptism agrees with it. The Spirit testifies of it, that it all makes sense. Jesus Christ was a man that came down onto earth and was baptized. Now the artist's rendition of this is a little I don't know if I mean, this is what I guess they, they came up with. Go ahead and put the slide. I mean, I, I talk to Pastor Steve whenever we do the baptism here at the church. Every year when we go to Moraine, I say, hey, you know, P.S., my dad. Can I get one of those cool-looking staffs with the Holy Scriptures flowing down at the end of it? You know, I need a robe to go out into the water. And I just kind of just dump a little water in everyone's head, you know, as it comes by. It almost looks so fantastical, right? And, and and i and I appreciate the art that they draw from this, and like the you know, it looks like I'm, I, the dove, I don't know if they got this right. It looks like the dove's like shooting lasers at him out of his mouth or something like that. But here's the thing, the artists I mean, I'm joking with this, but here at the same time, I couldn't produce anything like this if I tried. there was a there was an amount of reverence that they put into it but i would I would imagine that the baptism probably looked more like this next picture right here. John seeing the guy Jesus and going to baptize him. Now, if you've been baptized here at the church, you'll notice the hand technique. You know, I'm going to start actually after this and start saying, because, you know, I go to baptize people and say, you know, plug with one and hold with the other and I'll get you here. And people are like, well, why do you do that? Well, now I can say, because that's how Jesus got baptized. no. But it's something to note that whenever Jesus was baptized, everything that came after in the recorded that we see in the Gospels of what he did, his works happened after he was baptized. And John's trying to say, look, I was there whenever it started with the water. I saw when his ministry started in that water. I was there. I witnessed it. It was a person. And the Holy Spirit came on to him. I'm telling you, this is the truth. It happened. So he came by the water. And the water testifies. And some of that's the importance even for us as Christians. Water baptism means something. That acknowledgement of Jesus Christ, it means something. There's an importance that goes with it whenever you do it with sincerity in your heart. Now, the next part of what he's talking about in this, this verse is the blood. John, again, is here trying to say, look, I saw what happened to him in his death. He's saying, I watched him have his blood spilled just as he said he would, just as he was going to be the sacrifice. With his blood poured out, he, it happened. Now, the next, before we go to the next picture, it's intense. It's from the movie The Passion of the Christ. And if you've watched that movie, it puts what what happened to Jesus Christ into a very real perspective. It's not just some painting that you saw, but it looks it makes it look like a real person suffered this and went through this for us. And whenever you see the reality of what a crucifixion actually was, it makes sense that John would say the blood testifies of it, because whenever they whipped Jesus Christ, it wasn't just like, oh, you know, just like a, it wasn't just like getting punished for doing something wrong. The intent was to draw him as close to death without killing him. In this scene, this picture right here in this scene always strikes me as so powerful. Because here's John looking at this. And it's almost like he's writing this letter and saying, look, I saw the blood. I'm telling you what, if I witnessed this, this isn't something that just quickly escapes my memory. It's not something that I just forget about watching someone that testified to be the son of God that would go through this for me. And that scene, whenever I see this, is so powerful. Because I think about that. That blood on that ground is literally the most powerful, one of the most powerfully created things that will ever be in existence in this reality as we know it. That blood is able to redeem a spiritually dead life and give it eternal life. That blood is able, it says, that by his stripes, the whipping that produced that blood healed my body. It says that the chastisement of my peace was on him. He was punished for my peace. So whenever I see this, and I tell you what, whenever I watch this movie, this image was burned into my mind to remember that my God, my Savior, gave his blood for me. And it's eternal. So whenever John's telling this to these people, there's some heart behind it. He's trying to say, look, I saw the baptism. I saw the blood. He was a real person. And now the last part, the truth. And I tell you what, this, this, the end of the scripture where it says that the Holy Spirit, the Spirit is the essence and the origin of truth. It says that the Holy the, the Spirit is the truth. It's something that I've been dwelling on actually for a while, this concept. And I think if you let yourself think about this concept just a little bit, I think it will change a little bit of how you view God, how you view even the world that you live in. So I'm going to challenge your reality a little bit here this morning. like, you know, Whoa, dude, I'm not ready to have my reality challenged. But hey, you know what? The Holy Spirit, who's true, he's in the room with us, and he'll help us through this. But it says that the Spirit of God confirms the testimony of the, the water and the blood. And it says that he's the origin of truth itself. And I love the thought because, at the core, truth isn't a thing. I can see truth in a number of different ways, I can hear it. But at the end of the day, truth isn't a string of words of what somebody's recalling from something that happened, truth isn't a concept. Truth isn't something that's unique to each person, that we all live our truth. I, I, I can't stand that phrase, live your truth. What happens whenever our truths don't line up? Well, don't worry about it. I guess whoever complains the loudest gets the win. I don't know. But there is no concept of living your own truth. The truth isn't something that's told in court, that you do under oath. It isn't the recollection of a story, the way it happened. It isn't being honest. Truth. Is a person. Truth is the Holy Spirit of God. The origin of the even even the concept of what we think of as truth is actually the Spirit of God. And I said, whoa, "Whoa, whoa, whoa! I'm not, I'm not ready to follow that. Because up to this point, most of the time, our, our perspective of truth is, well, is someone going to be truthful? Are they telling me?" what has actually happened. But that isn't it. The origin of truth itself is the Holy Spirit. The very very fabric of our speech, whenever we say something that is true, even in the most mundane details, think of it, it's actually an acknowledgement that the concept of truth exists and it only exists because of Jesus Christ. It only exists because of the Holy Spirit. Think about it. Even whenever people that are believers or people that are sinners, even whenever they're retelling the most minor details of a day and they're saying exactly what happened to them. It's an acknowledgement that the concept of the reality of truth exists. Whether you know it or not, whenever you tell the truth, whenever you are truthful and honest, it's an acknowledgement to the very person of God. That is how interwoven God is into the reality of what we live in our everyday life. The concept of truth is not a thing. It is a person. But think of the confidence it gives me. It lets me know that even whenever I feel like my life is falling apart, I don't know which way is up. I know that my Savior is truth. His Holy Spirit that lives in me is truth. And I can know exactly what to do and how to do it because He is the truth in my life. Whenever I think of that concept, it's almost amazing. You think of the, the entire world. Every time somebody speaks truth and recalls even just something so simple and tells exactly what it is, and they, hey, they were being truthful, it's an acknowledgement of what God created in his very person. Now, look at this. I, I, I am never one that wants to go into, let's look at the definition of the word, you know, like the, the worst way to start a presentation ever. But here, what I want you to do, I'm gonna read the definition of truth, but I want you to think of it. That I'm not describing a concept, I'm describing Jesus Christ. I'm describing the Spirit of God. And think about it if it fits. True. Being in accordance with the actual state of affairs, conformable to an essential reality, fully realized or fulfilled, ideal, essential, being that which is the case rather than what is manifest or assumed, consistent, typical, steadfast, loyal, honest, just, legitimate, rightful, that what is fitted or formed that functions accurately, conformable to a standard accurate necessary strict corrected for error that's your that is your savior he is all those things to your life to bring truth to every aspect of your being you know it makes a whole lot more sense whatever you think of this sometimes you can pass over the scripture in colossians 1 16 and 18 i'll read it for you It says, for it was Him, meaning Jesus, that all things were created, and in heaven and on earth, things seen and unseen, whether thrones, dominions, rulers, or authorities. All things were created and exist through Him, and in Him, and for Him. He existed before all things, and in Him all things cohere, consist, and are held together. That sounds like truth. Guys, in your life, if you let him, Jesus Christ will be the one that adheres and brings all things together. Truth isn't a concept, it's a person. And he lives inside of you if you've accepted him as your savior. It's so much to go on. It's such a crazy concept, and I'm sure that whenever they dove into it, especially back in this time, the Roman culture, they were all in pursuit of, what is truth? And I'm sure the idea that be presented to it, the truth isn't a concept, it's not an idea, it's literally a person. It was so much for them to try to take on. But for us, we can rest and be confident that the very truth of the fabric of our existence the one who controls it the one who owns truth who is the essence and origin of it lives inside of us he will give you guidance in the truth amen shifting gears let's go to verses 7 and 8 off the We'll look at three different scriptures with this. In the New American Standard, it says there are three that testify, the Spirit, the water, and the blood, and the three are in agreement. The Amplified says, for there are three witnesses, the Spirit, the water, and the blood, and these three are in agreement. Their testimony is perfectly consistent. The New Century Version says there are three witnesses, the Spirit, the water, and the blood, and these three witnesses agree. John's trying to say that, look, any way that you look at this, if you want to look at his life and what he did, the actions that he took after his baptism, it will agree with what he did on the cross. Everything he did was perfectly summed up in his sacrifice in that blood. And all the while, that entire expanse covered everything that the Holy Spirit wanted him to accomplish in in his life. And I think for us, it's a concept that we could challenge ourselves with and ask ourselves, what would our lives look like if everything aligned, everything was in agreement, everything was completed, and everything followed the path exactly as it needed to be followed. There's a book that I read. um, it's a short book, really interesting book though. It's called Demon, a memoir, written by a Christian. And the concept of the book was that this demonic entity wanted to speak and kind of share his side of the, its side of the story of what it was like from their perspective, kind of going from the angle that it, they were deceived whenever Lucifer fell, and that they almost were they regret the decision that they had made. And so the story, in the book, he go, the, the demon goes to a journalist and is trying to relay the story so that it can be transcribed because he wants his side of the story, his version of the truth, to be out there. And in the book, it talks about that the journalist asks, you know, in the, and in the book, the, the, the demon appears as a person to him and he's talking to them, and he asks, before you fell, what did you do? What was, what was your life like? And he said, I stayed exactly where I was asked to be. I worship, I worship God whenever I thought of him, and I waited for his words. And in the book, the journalist asked, that's it? That's all you did? And the response back that it gave was amazing. It says, do you know what it's like to know one stated purpose and then to perfectly fulfill it? Do you know what that feels like? And in the book, the journalist said, I didn't answer because I didn't know what that." And I think for so many of us, we can approach our lives and feel the same way. There's so many missed opportunities that we think through our life, where we think, oh, I missed this path. I didn't do this right. I'm, I'm, I'm off here. I don't, I, don't, I don't think right about this, whatever this topic comes up. And we can feel like we're out of alignment. There's not agreement in our life. And you may say, it's... Uh, it, it's my marriage. The marriage is where it's at. And the others may say, it's my finances. My finances are where I goofed it up. And I, I don't know if I can get or get or ever get out of this hole. Some of us, you might say, it's my kids. I, I goof, I, I'm not on the right path with them. Here's the thing. Remember who lives in you? The truth. The Holy Spirit is able to give alignment to your life if you seek after Him and you ask the Holy Spirit to speak to your heart, He will give you a specific path to follow. He will tell you exactly what you need to do, the works that you need to do, and He will tell you what you need to sacrifice. Because I'm going to let you know in our lives as a Christian, our lives are to be modeled after Jesus Christ, right? Correct me if I'm wrong, that His life His entire life was a sacrifice. But the beauty of it is, is that Jesus said, look, if you will give it all up what your thoughts, your intentions, everything that you think you need to do, and if you'll give it up, where it says in Matthew 6.33, if you seek first the kingdom of God, all these things will be added unto you. Jesus is saying, if you'll sacrifice it all for me, I'll take care of everything that you need. Some of us, you may struggle with the concept of even, you know, I'll say it just for someone here. You may struggle with the concept of giving, the concept of giving money to the church. If you read the Gospels, Jesus talked a whole lot about money, a whole lot about money, and he talked about the. It was every single time was the correlation between the natural and the spiritual. That whenever you, what you do with the money that you earn shows God what you value. And some of it, you may look at your, your checkbooks and say, there's, I don't know, I mean, there's no way I can start, I, I can't give, i They're saying that's high, 10%. I'm looking at the numbers, I can't give 10%. There's not going to be any numbers left. But we forget, we forget that we're dealing with, we're dealing with a God. In the Gospels, he was making money come out of a fish's mouth. I think he's capable of connecting some points in your life if you're willing to step out. And if I recall, whenever the fish, whenever the fish had money in its mouth, it was to pay. A t- it was to pay a tax because they needed to pay it, and they didn't have it. So it tells me that whenever I'm giving, and I'm giving over to my Lord and my Savior, and I acknowledge Him with my money, that He will supply the things that i need in my life maybe in some unconventional ways that he will supply because he is the truth and i don't have to rest on it in any other way i think sometimes too we feel like we've missed things and there's not disagreement of i don't yeah the holy spirit has talked to me about some things that he wants me to do in my life but i feel like i just keep missing it i keep missing it and i keep missing it here's the question for you if you go back to first john One nine. Every time we mess up, there's a Savior that is ready to take you right back in. And he's ready to wipe it and cleanse it as though it never happened. And pick you back up and set you right back on the path. So I'm telling you today, your past doesn't dictate what your future is. Jesus Christ dictates what your future is. If you turn to him. And if you realize and recognize that your life is given to him, there's complete agreement in what you do with your life. The plan for your life and the sacrifices that you make. in life. You know, and I find it interesting. In John 17, there's an interesting statement that Jesus makes. Because I think a lot of times we think of Jesus and we think, ah, he had it, he had it, he got it all set, it was all good. You know, just kind of fell in the place for the guy. You know, he, you know, just, you know, he did, you know, a couple of somersaults, and you know, everything was good. Everything, everybody was happy. You know, they got no. There was legitimate work that Jesus Christ had to do, and I love the prayer in John 17. I think, I think I put it on the slide. Here. So Jesus, Jesus is. This is kind of the, the the last. This is the end of the road for him before crucifixion, and he's praying to God. And he's talking, He's pray, this, these, man, John 16 and 17 are just such beautifully, beautifully put chapters. But Jesus says, that, praying to God, while I was with them, meaning his disciples, I was keeping them in your name, which you had given me, and I guarded them, and not one of them perished, but the son of perdition, so that the scripture would be fulfilled. I read this, and it sounds like a guy that is saying, God. You told me to take care of them, and I put forth the right amount of effort to make sure that I kept them and that they were guarded. You gave me the tools. You gave me your name to do it, but I did the effort to do it. Kind of like Jesus saying, mission accomplished. Our Savior is such a perfect example for us that even whenever an impossible task is set before us, if we rely on our Father God, we will be able to accomplish that task. Some of you, some of us, myself included, there are things that God speaks to our heart and we sit on it. And I don't know about you, but I've, I'm, I've, I've become a, it's like a, I could teach a master class in delaying obedience. It's like, got it, yeah, I know that's right. I know that's right. No, I'm going to do it. Maybe not tomorrow. Don't have time. And then tomorrow comes, right? And then tomorrow's next week. And next week is, well, it was a busy month, and now it's next month. You know, wait, I just, time got away from me this year. But I'm letting you know, if you shift your perspective and get into those things that the Holy Spirit is reminding you of, maybe it's, maybe it is, hey, start tithing. Maybe the Holy Spirit's put that on your heart. Maybe it's, hey, you know what, get up 30 minutes earlier and spend 30 minutes in prayer with. Maybe that's what he told you. Maybe it's, hey, you know what? Call that family member and apologize for what you did six years ago. I don't want to do that. Holy Spirit will wait you out, man. He will wait you out. Maybe it's, hey, apologize to your kids and recognize that you're the one that needs to change, not them. You see, the Holy Spirit puts these milestones in our life, and it's up to us to get them. But whenever we're in agreement and we follow that leading of His Spirit, everything will be in agreement. It all comes together. In verses 9 and 10, it talks about a source of truth. In the New American Standard, it says, We accept human testimony, but God's testimony is greater because in the testimony of God which He has given about His Son, whoever believes in the Son of God accepts this testimony. Whoever does not believe in God has made him out to be a liar, because they have not believed the testimony of God the testimony God has given about his son. The new century version says we believe people when they say something that is true, but what God says is more important, and he has told us the truth about his own son. Anyone who believes in the Son of God has the truth that God told us. Anyone who does not believe makes God a liar because that person does not believe what God told us about his son. And I love the message. It's a paraphrase, but man, I love the way it puts this. If we take human testimony at face value, how much more should we be reassured when God gives testimony as he does here, testifying concerning his son? I think sometimes in our lives, myself included in this, it's easy to listen to the voices of the world and to listen to the voices of the world to the point where they influence what I think. Remember, John is going after truth here. And he's trying to tie it all back to say, look, the Father, the Son, the Spirit, they are truth. What they say is truth. and he's trying to make it relatable he's trying to say whenever somebody tells you something you'll take them at face value he's saying but do we do the same with our heavenly father and what he says about us or the things that we encounter in our lives do they become the real reality everything that is written in this book is to encourage us to teach us to direct us all towards Jesus Christ. And all to help us understand just how absolutely complete He is in what He can offer to us that is beyond anything that this world could even remotely give us. But it's so easy, I find, that thoughts that will come into my mind, it's so easy for me just to associate with Whenever I'm in pain, I associate with my pain more than what the Word of God says. And that's pain, that doesn't necessarily mean to be physical. That could be mental. And depending on what you deal with, that could be in your soul. Something that you feel, this is beyond emotion. I feel like the core of me is being crushed. The problems that we face maybe at our job. The problems we face with our family. The things that gnaw on us constantly, if we don't watch, they become the testimony in our lives. And we side and we believe with them. But let me put this in the perspective. What if we actually changed our truth to not be the reality that we see here, but to really say, no, regardless of what happens to me, my truth, my reality of my existence is tied into the one that is truth, to Jesus Christ. Who is the word of God? So that whenever I'm dealing with pain and sickness, I think, no, 1 Peter 2.24 says that by the stripes he took that I am healed. Whenever I'm dealing with problems that I don't have answers to, I can know in John 16.33 that says that, yeah, I'll have tribulation in this world, but I can be of good cheer and trust that my Savior has overcome them all. Whenever I'm dealing with anger that I can't even relate to or understand, I know that he has given me the ability to put away all anger and malice and wrath and slander from me. Whenever I'm dealing with fear, I can know that in 2 Timothy 1.7, that God has not given me a spirit of fear. That's the truth, but a spirit of love, power, and a sound mind. Whenever I'm dealing with pride, pride is not the truth of who I am. James 4.6 says that he gives grace to the humble, but opposes the proud. Whenever I feel like lies are overwhelming me in my life, that's not the truth. It says in John fourteen six that he is the way, the truth, and the life. Here again, truth is a person. Whenever I'm dealing with doubt in my life, I know that in Romans ten eleven it says that whoever believes in him will never be disappointed. Whenever I feel like God is silent, the silence isn't the truth. That's not the testimony. says in Romans 8.14 that all who are the children of God are led by the Spirit of God. And if I am a child of God through Jesus Christ, I can be led by Him. Whenever I feel like I have despair in my life and nothing is going to ever add up, I know in Jeremiah 29.11, the truth says that He knows the plans for me, good plans for me, to give me a good end. Whenever I feel abandoned, I know in Romans 8.15, it says that we have received the spirit of adoption as sons, in God, sons and daughters in God. I am not abandoned. That is not the truth. Whenever I feel like my failures are overwhelming me, that I have a lack of ability, I know that I can do, it says in Philippians 4.13, that I can do all things in Christ, who is in me and gives me strength. Whenever I feel like I have anxiety, that is weighing me down in depression, that is crushing me. I know that in 1 Peter 5, 7, it says that I can cast my cares onto Him. That's the truth, not what I'm dealing with. That's the testimony. When I deal with depression, in Psalm 9, 9, it says, The Lord is a refuge for the oppressed, a stronghold in times of trouble. That is my testimony in truth. Whenever I'm dealing with what I think is death in my life, I know that Jesus Christ himself said that I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me will never die. Whenever I feel like that I'm dealing with lack and inability, I know that it says in Philippians 4.19 that he supplies all of my needs according to his riches in glory in Christ Jesus. John's trying to say, he didn't go through and quote all those scriptures, but what I wanted you to know, that's the testimony of truth, not the reality we face every day. And what our faith does is while we're living a life, because like it or not, guys, we're going to live, as I, as I say in youth group, we're going to live in these meat bags and we've got to choose what we do with them. And While we're on this earth, we're not going to have the best experience all the time. That if we reach over with our faith, we can access all those things that are true, that testimony that is true, and we draw them in and accept them as truth into this reality. And here's the thing that God says, is that whenever you do that, faith will change the situation of where you're at. And He is there in loving you every step. He knows that we're not going to get it perfect. He knows we're not going to get it right the first time of doing that. But you know what? If we continue to go to him and we continue to make that effort to say, Jesus, I want the reality and the testimony that you have over the life that I am living, whenever you are open to that and you make those steps towards him and you start to make remember all those scriptures as the reality what this word of God says, I promise you, there will be change in your life. It's not on me. It's on him and he makes good on it. What God says in this word, about his word, is true testimony, not what you encounter in your life. I'm going to add one more to this. We just read it in Proverbs, but you saw it in Psalms, if you're in in the plan. And you see it in the Old Testament. I'm paraphrasing this here, but it says, the heart of a king is able to be swayed by the Lord. Meaning that God's able to God's able to push and nudge people in their hearts to make decisions and change. There's someone here that thought whenever we're going through that, I know that for me, but it's not me, it's someone else that's causing this. It's someone else that's bringing this into my life. It's someone else that I'm having to deal with that's the source of it. The Lord is able to change and sway their heart. You saw it in the Old Testament. Israel goes into captivity, and whenever the people in captivity submitted themselves to the Lord, all of a sudden, the king was like, did anything that they wanted them to do. Gave them favor. Why would the king do that? He had no business. Why would he he give them pity and favor? It would make no sense. But he did, why? Because the Lord is able to sway the. So I'm encouraging you in this. If you think through this and think, I'm lost because it's somebody else that has to make the change. If you pray for them and you put your faith there, if God can sway the heart of the king, he can sway the heart of whoever you pray for. Expect to see a change with it and know that if that will happen, his testimony is true. Amen? Let's bring it home in verses 11 and 12. And here we're looking at eternal life. The New American Standard says, "This is." If you haven't noticed, I like the New American Standard, so I'm just going to go with it. Right? New American Standard said, "This is the testimony God has given us: eternal life. And this life is in the Son. And whoever has the Son has life." Whoever does not have the Son of God does not have life. The Amplified says, and the testimony is this, God has given us eternal life. We already possess it. And this life is in His Son, resulting in our spiritual completeness. Help me get there, Lord. Resulting in our spiritual completeness. But who do we get it through? The Son, Jesus Christ. He is all things to us in eternal companionship with Him. He who has the Son, by accepting Him as Lord and Savior, has the life that is eternal. And he who does not have the Son of God, by personal faith, does not have the life. This, and then the last in the the message, this is the testimony in essence. God gave us eternal life. The life is in His Son. So, whoever has the Son has life. Whoever rejects the Son, rejects life. Here's that concept again. Truth is a person. Truth is the Holy Spirit. The origin of truth, the idea of truth is literally the Holy Spirit himself. Man, I'm, I'm, still, I'm still trying to wrap my head around and understand that one. But I'll throw another one for you. Life. It is the Son. He is the life. Our eternal life consists and solely exists because of Jesus Christ. Everything that we can obtain in this life exists only because of Jesus Christ. Life isn't a thing. It's a person. It's Jesus. The very essence of everything you look at in nature It's following the command that God gave in the garden for it to reproduce and continue in life. Creation, guys, nature is obeying the Word that it was given for life. The Word is Jesus Christ. It says in John that the Word was God. The Word is God. When God spoke life onto this earth, it was Jesus Christ that fueled it and drove it. The life in your life is fueled and solely comes from Jesus Christ. Your eternity is wrapped up in him. And I think the concept for sometimes it's easy to understand and think of, okay, well, eternity, got it. I accept Jesus Christ and I go to heaven. And it's easy sometimes because we put it off into this far-reaching part where it's, okay, I got that. But maybe to some of you, maybe you're here today or maybe you're watching online. And maybe that other part of that verse is hitting a little bit closer where it talks about whoever rejects the Son rejects life. Maybe you're feeling the weight of that. Maybe you think, yeah, maybe, I, maybe I've done that. Maybe I have been rejecting the Son my entire life. We'll have an opportunity today at the end of this service where you can make that decision to accept the Son and accept His life. But I think for some of us Christians, I think where we lose track sometimes is we think of eternal life as one big thing at the end of our days. What I think is really eternal life is little bits and pieces that are spread all throughout our lives. I'll give you this example. So I, I, uh, I enjoy video games. Growing up, I love playing outside, but I also loved me some video games. Pastor Steve and Mamie, they did not love them some video games. But growing up, the concept was is you would buy a video game. It cost you, you know, increasing amounts. Back I remember the Nintendo cartridges were like 30 bucks a piece. You know, it ended up being fifty dollars, and the idea was is that I buy this game, and I got it. That's the game. I play the game. That's the end of it. I I got the game, and I can do anything I want with that game. But once the internet hit, the whole thing with compute with video games changed. This phrase, and as a someone who likes gaming, is, uh, microtransactions came to be a thing. And so it was the idea of well. You don't need to pay $50. Maybe the game was free or it cost like, you know, 12 bucks or $20. But then once you get into the game, you can make all these little purchases. You know, you want to change the appearance of something or you want this extra little thing over here, this particular item, whatever it is. You can pay $0.99, cents, you know, $2 here, $4 there, $5 here. And it was these things that microtransactions, it's almost like you don't get the whole thing unless you do all the microtransactions. And so it became such a pain because it wasn't just, I don't buy the game. It's like, well, now you got to dump all this other money into it. And so I was reading this one forum post where they were talking about this game that was outrageous in these microtransactions. And so people were saying, well, what do you guys spend? What have you spent in this game in the last, you know, three years? You know, the one guy's like $3. I've spent $3 in microtransactions. That's it. I haven't spent anything else in the last three years. And then, you know, another post. I've spent a total of three hundred dollars over three years on the thing. And Then another guy, five thirty dollars a month is what I, you know, because they, they would grow. Everyone was like going to look at their account history and seeing what they spent. Another guy said, uh, "Oh my gosh, I'm spending two hundred dollars a month on this game. What is my problem?" Another guy comes in, not in this is the post, and he just writes ten thousand dollars. I've spent ten thousand dollars. at a time on this game. And then he put at the end of it, I'm done. (laughs) But I think this happens with the concept of eternal life. Am I going to let my thoughts go off into whatever I think, or am I going to control my thoughts? And all of a sudden, eternal life gets broken down into all these little separate parts. Am I making the decision every single day to do what the Son wants me to do? Is what I'm doing in agreement with what the Holy Spirit wants me to do in my life? you know one of our men's groups chris zackel had a great a great statement he said that we sacrifice the eternal for small temporary gains and man that that is stuck with me because i think that happens in our life sometimes we don't we don't intend to get all the way off course to where everything is a wreck but it's the small little things that all of a sudden add up and when all, we find ourselves in a place where we feel like there's no hope. What has happened to me can never be undone, can never be changed, and I can't overcome this. But see, that's where the reality of Jesus Christ steps in. That no matter where we're at in our life, no matter what we've arrived to, Jesus Christ can change it. He is the eternal life. Jesus Christ. Today we want to take communion and we want to identify even more with what Jesus did for us. How communion fits so perfectly today. But before we do that, I want to give everyone the opportunity. It's the most important part of what we're going to do today over anything else. every eye closed, every head bowed. If you're here today, in those last two scriptures where we talked about, where it says whoever has the Son has life and whoever rejects the Son rejects life, maybe you've never made the decision to make Jesus Christ the Lord of your life. You've never made the clear commitment that yes, Jesus, I want you to save me. I want you to forgive me and I want to live my life for you. I want you to be the Lord of my life. Today, you can make that decision. Give everyone a moment here. If that's you and you want to make that decision for Jesus Christ, you can just go ahead and raise your hand. No one looking around, everyone being respectful. It's the most important decision you will ever make. You watching online, maybe that's you. Let's pray this prayer today. Let's pray this prayer together. Everyone say, God, I believe that Jesus is the life. I believe he is your son. I believe he can give me eternal life. Save me, Jesus. Forgive me, Jesus. Thank you, Father. Thank you, Lord. Before we go today, I want to do one last thing, and I want us to take up communion together. So as we do that, I want you to make it a true acknowledgement to that testimony of the water, the blood, and the spirit, because we do this to remember what Jesus Christ did for us. He made the decision to give up his body. And he spilled his blood for us so that we could have eternal life. So what we're going to do, we're going to have the uh, communion on both sides. I'll help you here. And if we could, from both sides in the middle, we'll just come down to the front. We'll come down to the front and just split off to each side. So why don't we come on down as the worship, as worship plays. We'll make sure that everybody has it. And we'll take it together. So as you grab it, go back to your seats and we'll take it together sides skate you guys can all come down. Has everyone, re- everyone received? Communion is meant to be a personal moment where we take a moment and we reflect on what Jesus did for us and what we should be doing in our life for Him. In, first, in Corinthians, it talks about making the conscious effort to judge yourself as you take it, but know that there's no fear with it because the blood of Christ forgives us of all of our sins. So we want to take, and we want to take the bread, which represents the body of Christ. We want to acknowledge that Jesus Christ made a decision to give his life, his works, his actions, his very body for us. They're decisions that he made. And so we want our lives to line up in the same way, that the decisions that we make are what God wants. So Jesus, we thank you that you gave your body That it was broken for us. As we eat this, we remember what you did for us. Take and eat. And then Jesus in the Bible he says he took a cup of wine, he said, This is my blood that is poured out for you. And that blood testifies. That blood testifies of the salvation that he's given you, the forgiveness that he's given you, the cleansing that he's given you that is available to us. As we take this, acknowledge that Jesus Jesus Christ's blood cleanses us from all sin and unrighteousness. It heals our body and restores our soul. Jesus, thank you for giving your blood for us. We take this in remembrance of you.